0: Verse, uh, is that all of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. So each of you is essential. Each one of you plays a role in the body of Christ. We need you. I'm going to talk about that in a little bit detail today because this is something that we kind of skim over a lot. But I want to I want to address all this. But you are essential. So we've been talking about things that we need in our life that are essential. These are things that we need in our life. And last week. Man, if you didn't, weren't here for last week, go watch last week's message, please. Um, essential uh, integration. So we need to have our lives need to be integrated. Every area of our lives need to be integrated with, with Jesus Christ. <laughs> I, I was joking I, I, uh, last week. I didn't realize until afterwards somebody would jokingly say, man, did you like, use both, like, both of your thesauruses to get essential integration? Like, do you want to feel smart? But the are two words that <laughs> mean a lot. You are, it's essential that your life is integrated with Jesus Christ. So this week, I want to ju- jump in, but let me give you some context. We're going to go to Judges. Judges chapter um, uh, four is where we're going to take our, cont- our, our, our message. And man, I, I get to have some fun because there's some contextual stuff. What happened? Oh, he's got it. All right. That's All right. <laughs> Those of you who have been watching online, Devon's responsible for making a lot of that stuff happen. So give Devon a hand. Come on. So we're in Judges chapter 4, and now I have my remote. It's already on. So it says, After Ehud's death, the Israelites again did evil in the Lord's sight. So let me give you context of where we're at in the history of the Bible. So in the Bible, we have Genesis, it begins with creation. Then there's Abraham, who is given the promise of the nations that will come after him. And then they, uh, they're taken into slavery, into Egypt. They are, Moses leads them out of Egypt. I'm giving you a real quick summary. And they come out of, out of Egypt and they spend 40 days, 40 days, 40 years in the wilderness. Okay, 40 years in the wilderness. And then Joshua leads them into the promised land. And they spend this time with Joshua conquering the promised land. And they don't do what they fully what God called them to do. To get rid of all the people who lived there previously. They were supposed to drive them all out. But they don't do that. And then there's a period of time where there, are, there isn't a king. So you get, when you get to the next uh, book here, you get to First Samuel. You'll get introduced to a prophet who introduced us to the first king whose name is Saul. Then David. Then Solomon. And then it just like, it's like... It's a mess of two divided kingdoms, but we're in the period right before the kings, and it's a period of judges. So there's this period of time where there is no king, and it's actually the way God intended it for Israel to live, is that he would speak through men and lead the, the nation. That's the way it was supposed to be. So this is the period that we're living in. It says, after Ehud's death, who was, uh, it says, the Israelites again did evil in the Lord's sight. So the Lord turned them over to King Jabin of Haziar, Hazar, a Canaanite king. And the commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Um You pronounce it. Go ahead, I'll give you. Sisera, who had 900 iron chariots, ruthlessly oppressed the Israelites for twenty years. Now this is the hard part about the Bible is that we get these like one chapter of of, of history, but it covers twenty years. So it's there's the economy of words in the Bible. So what we think was like that happened and then they moved on. You gotta grab this. The context here is 20 years that they were under the oppression of the the uh, this guy named Sisera, and he had nine hundred chariots, which means he had a big army. So, it, this is a maybe exaggeration, but this number is used nine hundred chariots to describe large armies of this historical period. So he says, "Then the people of the Lord is uh, the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help." Now, let me. I, 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 I don't know. We, we are, I don't like to get stuck on current events, but we are right now in our world in a position of a tipping point in America. Uh, I, I, and I blame primarily the church. Okay? And the reason I blame the church is because we have not risen to the leadership that we needed to be in, and that's why I'm going to talk to you today exactly about that. But here's what I know, that every time the children of Israel looked around and said, oh no, we've got ourselves in too big of a hole to dig ourselves out of. Oh no, there's no way that a, a, new, a, a new stimulus is going to help us get out of this mess. And there's no way that any type of reform in the political system is going to redeem us in our situation now, that when they found themselves in that position, they cried out to their God, and every time they cried out, he answered Every time. And as a church, we must find ourselves in a position that this is the moment that we need to cry out. We need to get back to the practices, the spiritual practices of of fasting and prayer and getting on our knees before our heavenly God because there is no way, there is no way that we can create some kind of political reform that is gonna fix our nation. Our nation needs to get on its face before God and if the church isn't on its face before God, there's no way a nation will get on its face before God. (laughs) Here we are, this is the context of what's happened, it says after that, and then here is what Deborah, the wife of Lapidoth, was a prophet who was judging Israel at that time. She would sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim and the Israelites would go to her for judgment. Now, let me just jump on some good old religious toes real quick. Because there is a thought, an old idea that women cannot be in leadership in church. I'll just let the Bible speak for itself. Okay? This is a woman who is a prophet who is leading and speaking for God amongst the nation of Israel. God's chosen nation. She is a woman in a leadership position, not just some nice leadership position, but this puts her at the top of the leadership positions in Israel at this time. She is a prophet of God who was judging Israel. This is so any of your paradigms, let me just for a minute. I'm going to I'm going to let's just have some fun with it, okay? It's Father's Day. Let me show you what needs to take place for men. Okay, so here, this is what, so one day she sent for Barak, son of Abinian who lived in Kadesh in the land of Naphtali. She said to him, so what happens is she goes to, to, uh, to Barak and she says, hey, Barak, you need to take a position of leadership. I'm calling you to this position. And here is where, man, I'm getting all riled up and up in the mess of today's current events. Here's what happens. When we, we go from extreme to extreme... Don't, that's, what, that's the way our society goes. We go, hey, there's some issues with police, so there's, uh, let's get rid of them, completely get rid of them. Like it's either we get, have them and they have total control and authority, or we have nothing at all. We go to extremes, and here's what we do with church is we go, hey, women can't be in leadership, or they have to be in leadership, and here is a perfect biblical illustration of what it's supposed to look like. There is a woman in leadership. It does not mean that men abdicate their leadership. They're leading. She is calling a man to lead with her. That is the de- the example that God gives all throughout scripture is that men and women are to be leading the church of Jesus Christ together. So here we have, he's saying, hey, she doesn't say, hey, I'm, I, you stay down there and I'll stay up here. She's, she's rising, raising him up to leadership. And this is what, the, what happens in, in, with the feminist movement. The feminist movement was correct in its idea, understanding that women should have the right to vote. Women should have equal pay. All that was right. But what has happened is it's turned from them being equal to them being, hey, you have to come down so that I can rise up. Whenever we have any type of situation where we say one group of people have to lower themselves so another group can raise up, that is not God's way. The way that it should be happening is the people that are in leadership should be reaching down and pulling people up into leadership. You are called to leadership. You are called to lead. You, if I could say every single one of your names, I would identify you individually individually. And say, you are called to leadership. Amen. Amen. <laughs> this is what, so then she gives him details. She says, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, commands you. Call out 10,000 warriors from the tribes of Nephtali and Zebulon at Mount Tabor. And I will call out Sisera, commander of the Jabin's army, along with his chariots and warriors to the Kishon River. There I will give you victory over him. Barak told her, I will go, but only if you go with me. Now, I'm not going to identify any specific child of mine, but there are some children in my family who, when I ask them to do anything after dusk, immediately need someone to do it with them. Okay? I can't do it by myself. That's not how they do it. That's my, they... but can I give can I give Bayrak a little like like teenage? Maybe I might have identified who it might be, but who the the teenage attitude? Here it is. I'll go, but only if you go with me. Okay. This, is, this, is, this, this guy is, she, and she calls him on it. She says, I'm calling you to raise up into leadership, but you're missing your opportunity. She says, I, very well. She replied, I will go with you, but you will receive no honor in this venture, for the Lord's victory over Cicero will be at the hands of a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh. Here is, man, this, this, power, this is a powerful story. I, I mean, yes. Yeah, so the, uh, the, what happens next? is they go they set up this uh, this battle uh, they the uh, battle lines are set the israelites are defeating uh sisera sisera takes off on a, on a uh, full-out sprint to get away from them and he comes across a tent the tent uh, uh, a compound of tents and one of the, the only person there at that tent place is a woman named jael j-a-e-l and she says hey come on in you look tired let me help you. And she puts him in the tent and she, she gets him all set up. And then after he falls asleep, she takes a tent stake and drives it through his temple into the ground. Read Judges. It's full of stories like that. It's crazy. You don't need to watch any like crazy, like all those movies. Just read Judges. The, the, so she drives, his, she kills Sisera by driving a stake through his head and into the ground. And then uh, we have finally where Barak comes along. But what happens is, this is what's really cool about these situations, is that uh, after a victory, they would write a song. You see it in Moses when they cross the Red Sea. Moses gets uh, out and they, they sing this song. Miriam writes a song of the victory that they've had. Deborah writes a victory song after their victory over Sisera. And she says, on that day, Barak... Deborah and Barak, son of uh, uh, Abdon, yeah, sang this song. And this is where I want to grab and spend some time, is when the princes of Israel take the lead. When the princes of Israel take the lead. I am going to talk to some men this morning because it's Father's Day. But what I am going to describe this morning is not directed to men only. It is not directed to men only. We need to rise up in leadership. Our world needs the local church to lead. Let me say that again. This world and our society needs the church, the local church to rise up and lead. What will happen when the princes take the lead? What will happen when the people really offer themselves praise the Lord? Praise the Lord. You are called to be leaders. It is essential that the church leads. This is the message that I want to share with you this morning is that it is essential that the church leads. And when I say church, I don't mean a building. I mean us. I mean you. You. Step up into your position of leadership. We need this. We we need a good kick in the pants. Men, Young men, women, young ladies, step into your position of leadership. The world needs it. I'll never forget my good kick in the pants. Junior high, summer camp, the good old Buckeye campgrounds. It's where I grew up, it's where I spent every summer. And I would go there, and I would come into that, uh, uh, that place, and, and it, was, it was so much fun. And I was a good old PK, and you know what PKs are good for? Trouble. Uh, and what we, had, we had a fun group of PKs. I mean, my, my age group, there's a bunch of us that all spend time together. In fact, we are responsible for the last PK retreat in Ohio. Uh, Because the guy at literally at the end of our PK retreat, the the guy who was leading it looked at us and said, "I will never have another PK retreat ever." (laughs) Uh, That was us. And uh, there was you know there's some situations, and I got myself in this weird moment where I was uh, silly junior high stuff, and uh, one kid said something to me, and I said something else, and I took a swing, and I connected and it felt good, and, but I also it felt terrible. And I'll never forget, because of course I got in trouble, and I'll never forget Norman Pasley, who has gone on from, from this world, and he was an amazing leader, had tons of influence on me. I'll never forget, I can tell you the moment where I was standing, I can feel the emotions right now, as I stood outside the tabernacle during choir practice, and he put his arm around me, and he said to me, Josh McDonald, you are better than this. You're supposed to be leading these guys, not falling into this. It, it, it was the foundation, and it was, it was a reminder of who I was, and I needed just a little kick in the rear. Now, have I led great since that moment? No. But it has laid a foundation that even, even the way that we talk about in our family, we have the McDonald motto. It is, it, we have the, the four things that we do as a, as, a, as a family, and my kids will be able to quote it, right? Go ask them. This is what we say almost every day. At some point, I'll be like, hey, what are we? We're McDonald's. What's that mean? We are? And striving, striving for excellence. The second most important thing is that we are first followers of Jesus Christ. But the second most important thing that I want to drive home to them is that we are leaders, that's who we are, and not because we want power, not because we want authority, not because we, we are leaders, because God has called us to lead. Not the, the example I love to give them is that you are not a thermostat, or a, thermo, ther, a thermometer, you are a thermostat. You don't just tell the gauge the room of where it's at. You don't follow into it, you change the room's temperature. And that's my, that's my heart, is that you understand that you are called to be a leader. And he, here's what Deborah says, is when the princes of Israel take the lead, that's when we praise the Lord. Judges chapter 5, verse 15. So the, continuing this song, there's uh, five of the uh, 12 tribes show up to fight. Two of them are missing. Four of them are called out in Deborah's song. Deborah calls out the first one. She says the princes of Ishakar were there with Deborah and Barak. They followed Barak, rushing into the valley. Then she says, "But in the tribe of Reuben, there was great indecision. But why did you sit home among your sheepfolds to hear the shepherds whistle to their flocks? Yes, in the tribe of Reuben, there was great indecision. Who? What's she calling here? So when we study Bible, it's so important that we understand what context." So who is Reuben and why is she calling him out for sitting around listening to the sheep be whistled to? Reuben was known and described in the, in the Old Testament as the tribe who was wealthy with sheep. They were comfortable in their prosperity. They didn't want to leave their prosperous moments. They didn't want to go help the, the whole nation of Israel. They were comfortable in their comfort and their prosperity. Let me just call out the church of Jesus Christ. We have gotten comfortable in America in our prosperity. We can worship God. We can gather together. We can broadcast our messages online. We can do all that we've been called to. We have gotten very comfortable in our position of prosperity in America that we have left the nation to rot. We have to step into our position of leadership. Then she calls out, she says, yes, the tribe of Rum was there with great indecision, but but Gilead remained east of the Jordan. So there's a first group that she calls out because they they won't even leave their sheepfold. They're they're whistling away and (laughs) we like where we're at, we're comfortable where we're at, please don't disturb us. Because if we start causing disturbance, people might start coming down on us. Then there's this. They remained east of the Jordan. So what does that mean? Gilead was the tribe that was on the east side of the, the, the Jordan River. When they got to the Jordan, they were coming. Yeah, we want to join the fight. Yes, we want to do this. We're with you, Barak, Deborah. Here we come. And they get to their first little bump in the road. Oh, we got to cross the Jordan to get over there to help them. It's kind of inconvenient, guys. It's a, it's a lot of work. That means I'm going to have to serve a little bit more and give a little bit more and man this is going to be a little harder to get over this moment so hey guys good luck we'll just stay over here if they come over here we'll take care of them over here so as long as it doesn't bother us here we're okay and Dan why do they stay with the ships Asher sat still at the coast of the sea staying by his landings so, why did these two tribes? One is, the, the first one is, why do they stay by the ships? She's identifying their idea of work. See, work's a good thing. We talked about that last week. But if you're consumed with your work, that it's not integrated with God, you're missing the point of your work. See, she calls them out and she says, Your work is not integrated. And the other one is, Hey, you're staying by your landings. Or the one translation, you're sitting by the seashore, too much leisure. There's time for rest, but there's also time to step into your position of leadership. There's a time where you cannot sit idle any longer. You must step into your position of serving through leadership. So it says, but Zebulun he risked his life and did, and as did Nephtali on the heights of the battlefield. They were willing to step into their risk. They were willing to go where they needed to go. See, there's two extremes. In in, in, in in and what's, what's missing here? And this is really, let me, let me dive into men, because this, okay, this is not to us as a church right now. But this is to where we can be as a church. This church has amazing men who have stepped into leadership and who have, have brought their families to church. We are not the average church. And I don't ever want us to become the average church. We are called to leadership. But there's two extremes that men go through. And this is really, there's two extremes for all all situations. The first one is we have actions of cowardice. So actions of cowardice are, there's some ways that we live our lives as cowards. And specifically men, but also women as well, says one is, cowardice is irresponsibility. Well, it's not my job. Well, I didn't get hired for that. That's not my responsibility. Somebody else will do that. But if I do that, then I—this is—if I do that, then I won't have time to play my video games. If I say I'm going to get at six, up at six a.m. to pray, that means I have to go to bed at a decent time. So I have to just keep going. Independence. See, I don't need nobody. I got this. I don't want anybody. See, cowardness shows up in the lack of accountability lack of accountability I don't want you to tell me what's wrong in my life I don't want anybody to identify the place where I need to work the third one is entitlement (laughs) I deserve this okay this is my right as an American citizen I have this right except for you've added a whole bunch to your rights anyways I'll spend enough time on those things I'll just keep going Another side of this, the other extreme, and here's what happens. We go from extreme to extreme. So there's either cowardness and not taking responsibility, or then we go to the extreme, and I'm gonna call it chauvinism, because I've seen this in the church. I've seen this in homes where I, I, I'm the leader. And the way this shows up is in the way of toughness. I'm tough. I, I, can, I can spit further than you. I can hit you harder. I can make noises with my body. (laughs) Tough. No, you're gross. Uh, (laughs) That that shows up in this. (laughs) You didn't think you were going to hear that. (laughs) It also shows up in this the external success and status. I I march around like I've got it taken care of. I march around like I'm the leader. I march around like I've got everything under control. But in reality, I'm a duck on top of water. Everything underneath is going crazy. And then there's this one, intimidation. This is the one, man, if this is in your home, you need to call it out. You need to identify yourself in the mirror and say, just because you're the man or you have the position, doesn't mean you have the influence. Stop making decisions just because you say you can. So, so, what's the, so what's, how, do we, how do we get beyond this? What's, when you, when you talk about these things, there's, I believe there's seven commitments we need to make. There's seven commitments that, uh, that we need to get to a place where Paul says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, there's a point where in your life you have there's certain expectations. You act like a child. Yes, I expect children to act like children. Yes, I expect little... Like, let me look. Let me, okay, I expect when we have children in here for children to make noises. I expect the little paper wrappers to make noises. I expect that out of a child. But when you're an adult and you're doing the same thing, I have an issue with you. Not that anybody in here needs to hear that. Maybe the 11 o'clock service. Anyway. <laughs> no, in all seriousness, when I became a man, I stepped away from the childish ways of doing things. And I did it like a man. I stepped into my situation. I gave up my childish ways. And so how do we do that? There's these, these essential leadership commitments that we need to make. The first one that we need to make in essential uh, leadership is we need to make a commitment to purity. A commitment to purity. Here's where we, we have to understand that this commitment is, is so powerful. It is practic- practicing spiritual uh, purity, moral purity, ethical purity, uh, the, the ability to, and, and yes, sexual purity. I, I just, let me, I, I gotta, I'm running out of time. Purity is so powerful. It's, um, in fact, uh, this isn't your notes Matthew 5 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, blessed are the pure in heart. Why? Because they will see God. Gentlemen, let me tell you, if you are hitting a position in your life where you're going, I- I'm, I'm in a rut. I'm, in a, I'm a stuck. I don't feel like things are right. I, I just, let me just evaluate your life and make sure you are pure of heart. Clean out some stuff in your life. Clean out them areas in your, in your area of your life. And you need someone in your life that will help you identify those areas. I, this past week, I, this, I've been like, in this like, goofy rut. We're coming out of COVID. We're coming out of uh, what, all this stuff that's going on in our world. And I've just been in this like, kind of like, funk. And I, had a, I sat down with some of my overseers, and I just shared with them, but I'm not, I'm not feeling right. And they called me to a time of prayer and fasting. Hey, step out. Get into a position. Get yourself back to where you need to be. I'm calling you men. I'm calling you mothers. Create Congre- in your home a place of moral purity, a place of ethical purity. Listen, if you are cheating in your business, your God will not bless your life. God can't bless your family if you're cheating at work. And God can't bless your work if you're cheating in the home. I got, man, I, I got to keep going. Committed to purity. Committed to purity. And then the second thing is you got to be committed to marriage and family. And I, I put these in order specifically on purpose. So, pure will bless your home. And let me tell you, gentlemen, ladies, families, you need to build a healthy spiritual family. You don't find one, it takes work, it takes effort. It means you invest into it. You have to be committed to it, in and out, every day, committed to it. Great marriages, families don't happen by accident. They must be built with hard work. And husbands, Ephesians, I, uh, Ephesians, I don't have that on your notes either, but Ephesians 5.25. You want to know how God's called you to commit to your family? He says, love your wives as Christ loved the church. What? What's that mean? Oh, he gave himself up for her. Men, step into your position of leadership, not in a domineering way, but in a position of serving your wife so radical, in such an extreme way, that she sees God in you, that she sees Jesus Christ in you. Committed to serving is a, a third commitment we need to make. I, I, each one of these, uh, of these commitments deserves an entire message, but let me just, you, re, committed to serving means reaching beyond any barrier. Committed to serving means reaching beyond the barrier of race, economics, social. It is a, the, the reason why we serve is to demonstrate the power of biblical unity. What's that mean? You need to get uncomfortable in your serving. If you're serving and comfortable in your serving, you're not serving beyond your barriers. We need to commit to such a servanthood that we are raising others up. Mark 9:35, Jesus called the 12 and said to them, "Any one of you who wants to be first must be very last." If you want to be in leadership and cause you to leadership, it says, then you must be the very last and the servant of all." Fourth commitment we need to make is the commitment to influence. We cannot stay quiet any longer as the church. We cannot be okay with hoping people ask us about our love for Jesus Christ and the great commandment and the great commission he's given us. We have to live such lives that we draw people to us. 1 Peter 2.12 says, be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then, even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your, house, your, your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when, they, when he judges the world. This is such a a level of of influence that the way we do our work, I talked about this last week, go listen to that message. The way you do your work needs to be in such a way that people are drawn to Jesus Christ and when they see your work, it is with such excellence that they can't find anything wrong with it. You know why the position, we have the the platform, the influence we have in Tuscaroosa County now as a church? It's because I had a father and a mother and I'll honor my father today because it's Father's Day who lived in such an unbelievable way that I was able to walk into places and just say my name. And they're say, you're Jimmy McDonald's boy? Yeah. Oh. The road was paved because of the way he lived his life in such a way. Committed to influence. And the fifth, we need to be committed to the local church. I, I, I need to say this. I, I wrote it down this way. Supporting... The mission. I actually stole this. uh, It's uh, Promise Keepers. Bill McCartney wrote it this way. He says, "Supporting the the mission of the church by honoring and praying for the pastor, actively giving of time and resources." This is. I, I don't. I don't. I'm so blessed, but I need your prayers. I need your prayers. I don't just want them. I need them. And this church doesn't just need you or just want you to be involved. This church needs you to be involved. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not begging for you to jump into any certain area. I need you to deep down in your, inside of yourself and say, I'm going to commit myself to the local church. What's that mean? I don't know what that means for you. Find your spot. Find your place in the body of Christ. It is essential that you serve in your role. And that's not just on Sundays. Please, I talked a whole message last week. That means find your role in your position in the local church. Find your spot where you can be a blessing to taking and creating influence in our world. Then we need to be committed to accountability. I, I can't spend enough time here, but man, if you're not in a connect group and if you're not looking for someone to hold you accountable get somebody in your life who will call you out on your junk call someone out, have someone in your life that you give complete permission that you will not get angry, I tell you it will be the greatest blessing you've ever had is when someone will call you out for your junk the fourth, the seventh one, the final one and this is where it all begins I I put it last because it really is first that you have to be committed to Jesus Christ Christ is so important here. He is your king. He is your Lord. He is the one you bow before. He is the one you, you honor with your life. He is the one you glorify. Man, I pray that as I, I've spoken, I've gone longer than I wanted to, I pray that there has been a moment where the conviction has hit you, that there's a level here of commitment that you're going, that's the area I need to focus on. And let, let me just tell you, don't pick all seven. Will you pick one of these and go all out on it commit to that thing and go all in on that one area and then once you've got that going commit make the next commitment but I promise you as you and bring these into your life as you introduce them into your life some of them you are some of you already have like five six of these you're like yeah I'm there on that one but there's one that you just see that that's where God's convicting you if, if this is what, what, what do I do you you repent and you commit you repent and you commit. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this church. Lord, I thank you for those that are watching with us online. Lord, I thank you that we have a, we're able to take a step into our position of leadership today, Lord, and today we repent of not being the leader you've called us to be, and we make a commitment today to follow you. Lord, I thank you for the for the impact this church has had. And Lord, I rejoice in how this church is gonna have greater impact for your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.